0: asking for the next hot investment or which market is going to outperform this year. Number one, that's not the nature of this show. And number two, I have no idea. Any advice I give to a caller is meant to be generic in nature and should be verified with his or her own financial professionals. You will hear about a variety of topics on this show that relate to investments and personal finance. We try to cover topics that people can relate to regardless of their net worth or financial situation. And of course, we try to keep it interesting. I would crunch numbers for two hours or spreadsheet categories. Flows because I'm a total math nerd, but that wouldn't much make for good radio. Instead, I choose to educate people on topics surrounding big financial events in life, like marriage and divorce, kids in college, death of a loved one, career changes, and of course, retirement. I once heard that it is a smart man that knows what he doesn't know. I'm sure it was my dad that said that, and I'm also sure that it applies to women. That is why I invite guests onto my show that have expertise in different areas also related to personal finance. I feel it's important to note that the The opinions of these professionals are not necessarily the opinions of McNamara Financial or any of its advisors. As long as we are on the subject of disclosure, I should note that while we may discuss investments and or markets on this show, that past performance is not indicative of future results. Thanks for tuning in.
1: And welcome to McNamara on Money. My name is Justin McNamara alongside Alyssa McNamara-Reed. And it is a pre-recording session. I don't know if we're supposed to say that on, on the
0: radio. Ah, uh, we'll anyway. be honest. Well, honesty is one of our qualities, <laughs> of so people on, should know that.
1: Both of us. Well, at least I'm on vacation this this official weekend here. But uh, we got it. What well, we hope is a good show here. It's a little late in coming, but we have a, a year-in-review show. Uh, I do like to do a year-in-review show, but I've been I've been bumped off a bunch of times here uh, with regard to uh, kind of kind of doing a, a dissection of 2021 and sort of a look into 2022. Uh, it's sort of a, it's my review. And then what should you do show? So, uh, Alyssa, are you with us? Just want to make sure you're there. I'm Come here. On. I'm
0: with you. I can hear you. And I think it's still first quarter of the year. So I don't think it's too late to do a prior <laughs> year in review. Okay. That's all right. I'm excited. I'm not, always,
1: I'm not in charge of scheduling here. So I was in, I'm <laughs> pretty easy going. So I said, "Yeah, hey, we sure we can kick this show off. Yeah. Uh, I will, uh, I will share, um, my screen here in a little while, but anyway, so the, the, you know, just to start off the show here. Uh, just a quick recap. I guess we should go over the the investment returns, if if, um, if that's probably the easiest way to start. And I just have a couple of different categories. We're, I know this is tough on the radio, so I'm not going to do too too many numbers. Um, but let's just do the bond market. So the bond market obviously had a, a fairly difficult year, right? Investment grade bonds, which are just um, you know bonds that are considered investment grade would, would, you know, bonds that would fall into that category would be government bonds and mortgage backed securities and uh, and bonds from uh, sort of
0: like higher credit quality.
1: High, yes. Conditions. higher I'm sorry, I was trying to think of a way to say, yeah. you know, uh, <laughs> didn't use mm. any jargon, but bonds issued by, uh, by organizations that you expect to pay them back. Right. That's what the investment grade means. You know, you go buy, you go buy this bond you are expecting to get your money back. It's not a junk bond. Uh, or a high yield bond. So um, bonds for the year 2021 returned an unfortunate negative 1.8% for the year. So we had a negative year. Obviously, the reason was interest rates started to come up a bit last year in 2021. And when interest rates rise, the price of bonds goes down. So we had a negative year for bonds. I feel like we'd been talking about that, gosh, for, for almost ever, about, you know, issues with the bond market. And it's not the first yeah. relatively lousy year we've had, but yet another one. So not a great year for bonds in 2021. I guess that's bonds in general.
0: having said that, do you want me? I don't know if I'm jumping ahead, but I did yeah, pull please, a, no,
1: jump, jump in. Yeah.
0: I did pull a three-year return for bonds, which was so for calendar 19. 20 and 21, the three year average return for the aggregate bond index. Yep. Which I don't know. That is mostly high credit quality, right? That aggregate bond index.
1: Mostly, well, yeah, the, the vast, vast majority of bonds, are of higher credit quality, right? I mean, yeah, if, you, if you totaled them all up, there there aren't all that many that are lower credit quality, right? I mean, okay. it's a lot of it's a lot of government bonds and, and high yield bonds. If you're if you're if you have yeah. lousy credit quality, you're probably not lending quite as much, you know? What
0: right. I mean? So so while bonds were negative for calendar 2021 would you say 1.8%, they're actually positive and have a really good, decent three-year rolling average. So the average for calendar 19, 20 and 21 for aggregate bonds is 4.79% per the Berg Aggregate Bond Index. So that's actually a really good number because if you remember in 2020, bonds did really well because there was that drop in interest rates in 2020 surrounding, you know, the COVID right. crash and the uh, yeah. health crisis and things like that. So I want to say bonds for calendar 20 were up like eight or 9% or something that bond index. Yeah. So the three-year average is still really good, even though, I mean, that's a really good average return for, for bonds, right? I mean, really long-term average is what 5%. So that's pretty close five, five and yeah. a half maybe.
1: I mean, it does tend to be the case, right? Obviously the idea, you know, the the reason that we all diversify our portfolios with our bonds and our industry is because they tend to do well, uh, when stocks do poorly or or, Mm -hmm. and and sort of people are panicking. Uh, and they also do well when interest rates are dropping. And that's, that's kind of what happened in 2020. Obviously we had COVID and, and there was a lot of, um, you know, interest rates did drop and that helped bond prices. Uh, we'll, we'll see where we go in the future here. Um, you know, the, the, I think, the consensus in wall street is that we're probably going to be trending up, although that's been the consent, you know, that would, that would have been, you know, we would have told you that at the year end, uh, 2019 show as well, that we expect bonds to rise over, you know, kind of an intermediate term timeframe, mm. probably still the case because interest rates are fairly low right now. And now we have, you know, what, which, which we'll get to later in the show, we have all kinds of issues with, you know, if inflation and, and other concerns now that weren't, uh, yeah. that weren't there back in, uh, 2019, 2020. So, uh, all right. I will, you know, there, there were a few bonds, there were a few parts of the bond market that did relatively well. Um, you know, uh, I'll, I'll talk briefly about high yields. So high yield bonds are uh, bonds issued by less credit worthy companies. Mm. Uh, they did uh, pretty well. They, you know, their year to date. Um, sorry, the, the year to date for, um, for 2020, so full year for 2020 was 5.4%. So
0: mm.
1: if you were taking a little bit of risk in your bond portfolio, uh, you were probably, you were, you were likely rewarded for that depending on, you know, what specific, um, credits you were holding. Uh, but you, you know, you did get a decent return out of high yield bonds, although they tend to be more volatile. And, and, you know, if, if we get a lousy stock market, they'll probably, they'll probably won't do quite as well. Mm. Um, questions. Yeah, I, I mean, some of this stuff, if you feel free to stop me, I won't, I'll have a few comments on each one, but I don't, I really don't need to, um, you know, I don't, I don't want to spend too, too much time on each one of these.
0: Yeah, that's fine. No, co- no right. comment on
1: that. <laughs> no comment. High yield.
0: <laughs> no comment on high yield bonds. I know they're part of our portfolio, but a relatively small part, just because right. of the higher risk component, the high risk factor.
1: Yeah, nothing, nothing major, nothing that pe- people don't generally track. You know, the the high yield bond market on a day to day basis, right? right. Uh, so let's get some of the more more of the fun stuff. So uh, U.S. large caps uh, for the year 2021 were up a whopping 28 and a half percent. I know we mm. you know, obviously we're doing this show a couple of months into, uh, a couple of months into 2022 here, but, um, and things have changed just a bit, but 2021 it's great, you know, another great year, uh, for, for large U S stocks, right. As measured by the S and P 500, uh, 28 and a half percent. That's a great return. A lot of that, again, you know, a lot of that was pushed by the, by the, you know, the major names, um, you know, the Apples, the Googles, the Facebooks of the world, mm. uh, which have come back here a bit, but, uh, good year for stocks and um, I'll, I'll stop there for any comments from you if you have them.
0: Um, I just, well, like I told you, I had pulled some three-year rolling numbers too, mm-hmm. just because I mean, one year is a short period of time as, right. as you know, in the world of investing. So I think three-year numbers are, are helpful. So th- the three-year returns are awesome for large U.S. stocks, um, three years on average. So calendar 19, 20, and 21 to over 26% on average over those three years, which significantly, wow. as you know, significantly exceeds, the long-term average return of the S&P 500, which is, well, depending on the period of time you look at, could be anywhere from what, 9 to 12%, right? So that's almost like double or more its very long-term average just in the prior three years. It was up 31% in 2019, 18.4% in 2020, and over 28% in 2021. We're talking about, I'm looking at the S&P 500 index, which is a measure for large U.S., um, stock. So yeah, the numbers are the three-year numbers for U.S. are are, are crazy, um, inflated, perhaps. Yeah. Uh, and we're, again, like you like you said, we, here we are in the first quarter of 2022 and um, we've had a little correction to that, but it's, um, what did I hear? <laughs> I heard, I was listening to another uh, financial podcast and and, and there, I think there was an economist on or I can't remember if she was a, an economist or a columnist maybe for like the Wall Street Journal or something. And she said something about like the S&P 500 just like ate a little bit in the last few years. And now it's just <laughs> spinning some of it back up. <laughs> it's been a little bit blown and now it's it's giving up a little bit of that so
1: yeah and I know you know not, yeah. not to pat ourselves on the back here but we, you know, we, we spent a, a good deal of the last three years sort of um, I think warning folks against uh, getting used to returns that high right that's those yeah. those are clearly very clearly outliers um, other parts of the world haven't done haven't done nearly as well but you know specifically in the. US because you know a lot of most US investors have a uh, um, you know a major proportion of their investments in the United States. Uh, we're sort of letting people know, hey, this this party is not going to last forever. And uh, well, at least in the first couple of months here, we're, we've been proven right just a bit. We'll see what the rest of the year holds. But yeah, but um, unfo-
0: unfortunately, people, investors sometimes have short term memories, right? So
1: yeah, um, yeah.
0: right. Like, like, even though it's only been, well, actually, I could go back several more calendar years. And actually, the US stock returns and large stock returns in a, in a lot of prior calendar years are really yeah. good. Yeah. Um, so it's not that it's been a super short period of time, but, but people very quickly get. Get used to the to seeing those numbers and and start to expect them. Um, I think right, like it's it's yeah. been it's been enough years since uh, the credit crisis and and the great recession there that people sort of um, maybe have a mm, unrealistic expectation of what stocks should earn. I think people have been a little spoiled in the last uh, several years, and you and I know that these numbers differ quite a bit from very long term average returns. But the average investor. Um, expect something different I think right now yeah. and maybe sort of forgets that volatility is normal and forgets that single yeah. digit returns, you know, can be normal in the world of stocks too. So
1: yeah, um, yeah eventually we'll be right. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I've been yeah. saying, Hey, this is a nice years, At yeah. some point we'll, we'll be right. But yeah. And a similar story with, with uh, smaller U S companies, mm. um, the return for 2021, again, they 14 and a half percent. That's a, that's a good return, obviously still above mm-hmm. the long-term average. That you would expect in a um in an asset like small cap um and, and again did so did pretty well there although not nearly as um as substantial as the s p 500 and again a lot of that you know well you know a lot of the market return which we've touched on a bunch uh over over the last couple of years in large caps is being driven by kind of the major players, you know, the, the apples, the Facebooks, the uh,
0: tech- technology companies, huh? Yeah, They've the,
1: been- basically the big tech firms, which yeah. all, of, all of which uh, are low, you know, or at least the vast majority of which are located in the United States. And that's partially when we get to the um, the next two entries here, you're going to, you're going to see some, you know, pretty substantially lower numbers when we get to international markets. And, you know, it's really the tech giants that have been driving Um, You know, most of the return in Mm. the S&P 500, certainly. And, you know, it just it just so happens that that those companies that are are at least mostly um, located in the United States and therefore mostly uh, pushing the United States markets up higher than everywhere else again uh, stay tuned for what will happen in future years.
0: So, yeah. Maybe, you know, yeah. you know, I think a lot largely driven, a lot of that driven by COVID and the work from home yeah. boom. And, um, you know, maybe a lot of that related to e-commerce too, but that's lately related to COVID and people not, right. you know, going out and shopping as much and e-commerce being the norm and, um, you know, t- softwares, you know, helping people work from home and things like that. So, yep. um, that, that, that makes sense when you think about what has driven a lot of this, uh, growth in the last few years. Um, I think a lot of it COVID related.
1: I think so. Yeah, yeah certainly. Yeah. I mean, we'll see, we will see as we start to normalize here, I don't know. Our, our kids got their masks are getting their masks off on, uh, on March Same. 4th and, and, uh, yeah, we're, uh, we're sort of transitioning no more mask mandate in up here in, uh, in Westford. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we're, definitely normalizing and we'll see what that we'll see. I mean, it'll, it'll certainly change things and we'll see what what impact it has on the markets. Yeah. Uh, We make no prediction. We're not going to make any specific predictions. Okay.
0: (laughs) We'll just make some guesses, but you never know. We can't predict.
1: Yep. Uh, All right. So let's go over to international, international developed markets, right? So this is, this is the developed world. Uh, You know, the, uh, the, um, you know, the Western Europe's, the Japan's, the Canada's of the world. Uh, a decent year, eleven point seven percent in twenty twenty one. Again, obviously mm. not nearly to the level that um, uh, that the U.S. S and P five hundred did, but still a decent enough return. Uh, and then emerging markets had a pretty lousy year, uh, with just just eking out a one point three percent rate of return. I you know I I, mm. I won't say much on this other than this is you know. F- the continuation of a much longer trend, right. You know, when when we're doing reviews with our clients and and taking a look at, uh, you know, returns on the portfolio and past returns on different asset classes, uh, it's, it's very, you know, the difference between the U S and overseas is very, very stark over longer term periods of time right now. I mean, you know, we, we would, Mm. you know, folks like us say, Hey, you know, long-term in this market in, in, in investing is, you know, probably 10 ish years at least. Um, I think we're now at the point where even over a 10 year period, the U S is, is drastically outperformed the rest of the world. Oh, I don't have those numbers handy. Maybe you have them. Maybe you I'm going
0: to find them. I actually have a chart. That's a couple of years old, but I have a chart. Um, and I'm trying to think of the name of it. I'm searching my computer right now, but I will, I will find it. There's a chart yeah. that compares um, domestic markets with international stock markets And um, I'm sure you've seen this chart, too, where where it shows, um, first of all, uh, how it's very common for domestic and international markets to have a a uh, wide uh, differential in terms of their annual return. It's not it's not uncommon for them to be a very big difference in terms of return. Yeah. Not necessarily that one's positive and one's negative, but one's you know extremely positive and one's just like average, which has basically happened here in the last few years with internationals being. Uh, I'm sorry, with with domestic's uh, large stocks being incredible. But actually, over the last few years, international stocks have been really good. Like if we go back three years, um, you know, internationals were up last year, what, 11% the year before that, 8-ish eight percent the year before that, 22%. So those are really good numbers, but they're not yeah. as good as the US. So comparatively speaking, not as good. Emerging markets, um, a little bit different, but they've had like 2019 and 2020, emerging markets were up in the 18% range. Yeah. So those are really good numbers too. Last year, not so much. But there's a chart that shows not only that that it's common to have a big difference in return there, but also it kind of shows that that one that domestic outperforming international and vice versa over like long periods of time is normal historically, right? Like we'll go through like eight, yeah. and 10 or 12 years where yeah. one outperforms the other consistently and then it will kind of switch. And you've seen that chart, right? It's a, it's like a bar chart and it shows yep. the differential. I'm going to find it while you're talking next, but okay. <laughs> um, I, I've pulled that one out several times for um, the last few years, just because um, you know, it's human nature to um, want more of what has done well recently, right, and want less of what hasn't done as well, but that, but those things that that won't necessarily repeat itself, right, and and that's the point is that um, well. It it won't necessarily always follow that follow that pattern where the U.S. outperforms international and vice versa. Right. It's not following yeah. that pattern this year. It's only been you know we're here. We are only in the first quarter, but yeah. internationals aren't down as much as as U.S. stocks. So it it doesn't always follow that pattern. And also then you know then we can get into valuations and which one's cheaper right now and poses a, yeah. you know, better growth opportunity, longer term, it's not domestic stocks, right? right. At least based yeah, on then, yeah, prior the prior valuations. Yeah. yeah the million
1: dollar question is when, is when the trend, uh, when does the trend reverse itself, which we'll, right. which obviously we'll get into a little bit right
0: later here. Yeah. I'm going to um,
1: find the chart. Yeah. So I, I, I did pull up the rates of return here. Just, you know, this is not from year end 2021. This is a more recent, I think it's the end of January um but you know the the decade return for the S&P 500 is almost 15% 14.96 this is 10 years ending 126 mm. 21 uh so we're about a month old uh with this data but um again the the point stands and the 10 year return average you know doesn't change all that much from you know from month to month but you know so it's a, almost a 15% return for the S&P 500 uh, the developed world uh, is at six point seven five, mm. and the emerging world is at four point two three. So we're talking about a you know a, a drastic outperformance, um, which you know has the trend has really has continued for um, you know continued for another year last year, on top of many many before that. So at some point,
0: but I bet if you went back twenty five years, like if we went back twenty maybe, yeah. twenty or twenty five years to so like right before. I bet if you went back at like exactly 20 years, I can try to find some data. I can try to pull a report while we're talking But like the 20 year return of the S and P isn't, I don't think it's more than like 8% or maybe that, maybe I was looking back at like, maybe it was about 25 year return because 25 years brings us right before the tech bubble. Yep. Right. And so, and so returns dating back there are, um, kind of bleak actually maybe for, for all, all categories, not bleak, bleak was not a good word. Seven or eight or 9% (laughs) is not, is not bleak. I know that was terrible. (laughs) See, I'm falling subject to like, what's, you know, what, what people come to expect, right? It's, you know, we've seen double digit teens and twenties returns for, for us stocks for a while now. And so when you show someone, you know, the very long-term averages that it's maybe only eight or nine or 10%, it just doesn't, it like, doesn't seem to make sense, but, but you and I know that that's, that's accurate. I'll find some yep. data while, while you're talking.
1: Okay. All right. Uh, okay. So, yeah, I mean, again, I, I, I think that was, that was probably as much as I wanted to do on the differences, right? I mean, we'll, we'll talk about obviously uh, what happened is, is already in the past and and we're going to spend a bunch of time on what is likely to happen in the future. Again, not necessarily in the, you know, prediction business. I think we'll, we you know, we'll probably say it later in the show and we'll also say it right now. Um, it is, is difficult to, uh, to time the market, you know, even, even when you take a look at some evidence, right. Where you, where you say, well, Hey, you know, international stocks are way cheaper than the, than us stocks right now. We should have more money in international. Uh, you know, there's a reason why you don't take all your money out of one place and put it all in the other, because you can, you know, you can very often be wrong, right. The, the, mm. the same, uh, the numbers that exist now, which we'll get into in a minute are, were similar to the ones last year and the year before. And, the, and even the year before that, um, in that, U S stocks are, are more expensive and, um, and, you know, international stocks are less expensive and and therefore the expected future returns should be lower for us and they should be higher for international, but it's not always that right. simple, right? Right. You, know, you, there's no law that says they have to be the same. Our assumptions long-term is that they are similar. Um, but you know what we, you know, you, you can't sort of predict things like, Oh, Hey, um, if, the U S dominates technology and technology dominates the world going forward. You know, you, you could make mm. an argument that, Hey, you know what, the U S should be more expensive, right? We're, we're growing all these great companies, you know, maybe the next, uh, maybe the ne- you know, the next set of companies that will be the next Amazon, the next Facebook are, are growing here in the U S. And if that's the case, maybe we should have a higher price because, Hey, it's, it's worth it. Right. Cause we're going to get all the, you know, we're going to get all the growth and therefore if we if we pay up for growth it'll be fine because it, it may actually show up right it's not it's not always as simple as hey mm. keeper over here uh, it's not like it's not quite like buying a car <laughs>
0: right but right
1: anyway uh so we have like oh, let's see with three minutes i wonder if three minutes
0: oh i'm bombed i i i remembered who sent me the email with that chart but i'm still looking for that chart of the i think it was called alternating market leadership
1: Yep. I, I, yeah, I do you remember, remember that chart. chart and
0: I'm searching my email and I'm searching my computer. And I'm, of course I'm not finding it though. I feel like every time I find this chart, I save it in 10 places, but then I can never find it again. But, um, yeah,
1: Maybe I'm the one who sent it to you.
0: Maybe. Anyway, it's a good uh, one. I want to say it was like eight or 10 or 12 year cycles where we're one, where either domestic would outperform international or vice versa. So it, it, you know, we're, it's, we seem to be following the pattern, some sort of a pattern here. Um, hmm. Not, not that it's predictable when it will switch though, which is the hard part. Right. I
1: mean, I think, you know, I I would say that we are pretty comfortable saying that it will switch at some point, but again, you know, if the, even, you know, even using your hypothetical, you know, not hypothetical, but the chart we have, you know, let's say the average was that, you know, the market leadership uh, switches every uh, 10 years. Well, you know, that, that might well mean that um, when you get to 10, you know, that 10th year, it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to have a switch, right. The, right. The, <laughs> right. It's just based on, um, it's just based on you know the full data set and, you know, maybe, it could, you know, it could be 12, it could be 14, probably it could be 16 years. And again, there's no, there's no, uh, hard and fast rule that says it has to happen at all anyway. So, right. um, right. it's definitely difficult. It's not something that we're not telling okay. you to ignore it, but right. Sorry, go ahead. Did you find it? Nope. nope. Okay. No. All right. Um, so I think up next, we're you know, we probably should take a look at the future. I mean, some of the next segment will be we're going to be kind of cheating here, although, um, we would have said this at the end of the year, and some of this has, has really already started to happen. Um, but I have you know, some, some information that was, you know, put out by the, um, the federal open market committee, the F, the FOMC. Mm. And, you know, they spend some time making some projections and, you know, trying to figure out where obviously they're, you know, they're, they have to keep a a close eye on what's happening in the economy and also make some guesses about what's going to happen because they're setting all the policies, uh, that are going to, um, you know, that, that are, hopefully going to take us into a a better future so they have to make some projections going forward so we'll get into that i think probably okay i don't know if i'll start to throw that throw all that out um just yet yeah, because we're up we're up against a break here um so all right so you're listening to uh mcnamara on money um, my name is justin mcnamara alongside Alyssa mcnamara reed and we're doing a a recap of 2021 and a uh, and a look forward at the rest of the year and later on in the show we'll get on to get into some action steps on what we think you should do uh, as a result of all this stuff. So, we will be right back.
0: Hi, this is Alyssa Reed with McNamara Financial in Marshfield. Your investment strategy should largely be determined by the amount of time you have before needing the money. If you are aggressively invested, time is your friend when it comes to your portfolio recovering from this scary stock market. If you need your invested money soon, it should have been conservative to begin with. If you're not sure how your money is invested, I'd be happy to offer my opinion. 781 834 2010.
1: And welcome back to McNamara on Money. My name is Justin McNamara, alongside Alyssa McNamara Reed. We're doing a year in review. I know we were a little late here, a couple of months late uh, on the 2021 year in review, but I got bumped, and I'm an easygoing guy. So, um, and my Roth, to- my my Roth,
0: my Roth topic was very fun. You have to admit. I, should,
1: <laughs> I don't know why we didn't do that. In some of your Roth. I know.
0: It's, it's you were you
1: were excited about it. I
0: was so excited about it. I didn't. I didn't want to wait. No, I think it's good. Anyway. First quarter, never too
1: late. Never too late. Okay. So, um, you know, let's get, we we went over the uh, the returns uh, for, you know, sort of the major asset classes back in section one. Yep. Uh, now let's look ahead a little bit to, uh, to 2021. And again, as I mentioned, some of this stuff um, is, uh, you know, has already started to play out. Although, you know, just because it's it's happened over the first couple of months doesn't mean it's necessarily going to continue, but... Um, as I mentioned before the break, uh, the the Federal Open Market Committee puts out some estimates, um, and uh, just sort of tries to look into the future. So I have a few different um, data points that, that that you know, kind of there, uh, that they put out at their at one of their recent meetings. I actually, don't have. I'm sure I have the. I can probably find it in the in the little in the small print here. But um, for our purposes, it probably doesn't really matter. So in 2021, uh, real GD real GDP growth. Uh, was 5.5% oh, wow. for 2021, uh, which is a good, you know, really that's a good year. Yeah. Yep. Uh, it's, it's, um, what's it normally? A, a th- good three, three percent? Yeah, two or three target? percent. It's, yeah. you know, if you, depending on, you know, what, uh, at what point in time you're living, uh, you know, it used to be in the in the good old days back when we were growing up that, you know, you'd want to see kind of the four or 5% range. Uh, it certainly slowed down in the 2000s. Uh, but, you know, if you can get to, you know, somewhere around that three ish percent range. It's a, it's a decent for a mature economy like us, right? Obviously if you're, right. if you're China, they're, they're not happy if you're not, uh, you know, if you're not in the five or six range, but uh, we've been, you know, we've been sort of on top of the world from an economic point of view and it's just hard to grow an economy like that super fast. Right. Um. But you know, the, the projections for, you know, the, the 2022 projection uh is about four percent and then the 2023 pr- projection is about two and a half percent right so that, you know the, the the fed anyway is seeing a slowing economy um unemployment projections the current unemployment rate again in the 2021 was 4.3 percent and uh you know their their guesses are somewhere around three and a half for the next couple of years which is you know again is obviously a good thing if you you know for folks who want a job they you know ideally you want a lower rate so it's easier to find a job if you want one or switch jobs If you want to switch, um, you can stop me anytime here.
0: I was just Uh, thinking about the GDP growth and it does make sense to me that they're projecting a strong GDP growth again this year and maybe falling a little bit next year, just because from, you know, what I still hear is that there's just still so much cash on the sidelines from when people, from all the stimulus, um, you know, related to COVID and, you know, the the great unemployment benefits and the PPP and, um, uh, right. You know, keep hearing that, uh, personal cash balances for Americans are really strong, like, like higher than they've been in a really long time. Right. Yeah. Um, so people just kind of hoarding cash while unemployment was good, for example. And, uh, you know, couple that with people haven't been able to spend on as many discretionary things in the last yeah. couple of years, right. Like yeah. dining out and travel. And so people, for those couple of reasons, you know, uh, people have a lot of as a whole people have more cash in the bank than normal and also it's it's hard to spend money on things that they want right now because of supply issues right people want to spend the money but are having a hard time because there's not as much inventory right businesses are having trouble uh yep. keeping inventory so um it does make sense that it would be they're anticipating it you know consumers to be spending a lot of money again this year because there's money to be spent And then maybe normalizing, so not that interesting? It's so, it's just so like who would have thought you know going into COVID before all the stimulus right? It's just I, I couldn't yeah. have imagined that <laughs> yeah. fast forward a year or two and Americans are wealthy by many measures yeah. right and have more money than they can spend. Uh, you know it's just it's it's really hard to have foreseen that. But you know of course without the government stepping in and pumping trillions into uh, uh, the economy and into our pockets it wouldn't have happened. No. Um, yeah. So we, yeah, you we, you can say yeah. what you
1: want about the you know about about where stimulus money went and you know and, and obviously you know anything that's that's you know put through that quickly is you know tends to have some issues somewhere but
0: yeah you know, it's
1: it, you can you can't argue that it, had, it didn't work pretty well especially at least for us right I mean the economy is yeah. doing pretty well um, obviously every you know there's there's always improvements to be made but uh, I think we did we 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 came through it all right and uh, so. You know, we'll have to we'll have to kudos to the government on that one.
0: You know? I yeah, I agree. And you know, again, the Great Recession isn't too wasn't too far in the past. So for them yep. to, you know, sort of not want that to repeat itself in terms of, you yeah. know, the very high unemployment and the real estate uh, downturn and 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 other things like that. So um yeah, they did do a good job quickly getting legislation through and money into Americans' pockets and um avoiding what could have been a little, you know, more disastrous than it was. In terms of yeah. you know the economic situation, not, not beyond the health pandemic.
1: Yep. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll 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 jump to the next one. Inflation. This one is this one might be a little bit out of date. We'll see. I know I know things have uh, sort of gotten worse with inflation.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, 2022 projection. Again, at this at this FOMC meeting in December, uh, was two point seven percent for 2022, and then dropping to two point three percent in 2023. We'll that's see. The pr- that's the that's the projection. That oh, yeah, that's I the, don't. That's really. the projection. <laughs>
0: that one's uh, hard they put to put out
1: believe. yeah again this is again yeah. things are things are sort of happening fast here i know it was substantially higher um, again this is core, this is core inflation so i don't i think this actually does remove uh, some of the this is that's not the cpi so
0: uh, oh okay that
1: will sometimes you know some of the more volatile i think it's you know what the food and, food and energy prices are removed so, oh, um, that's okay. a, again, we'll see, we'll see what happens on that, on that score. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see that one higher, but this is, yeah. I'm, just giving, I'm just giving you the numbers folks. D- you know?
0: Different economists will have different answers to that, but it seems like sure. from what I hear, they're sort of expecting inflation to be high again for 2022, but maybe, you know, hopefully not as high as it was last year. It was about 7% last year at right? the CPI or, yeah, and, um, yeah. You know, some numbers I'm hearing are maybe it'll be you know four to six percent for 2022, and then maybe normalizing yeah. you know a, a year or two from now. So, um, yeah,
1: yeah, again, and you I, know, no, no one really knows, obviously, right. and even even this is you know the you know they said the I think they they make a bunch of projections and then they use the median, right? So some people have it higher, some people have it lower, and whenever yeah. you see something, oh, the the expected inflation, it's generally. You know, someone aggregating a bunch of data from a bunch of different sources, maybe, you know, a bunch of different economists or or whoever, and then, you know, sort of throwing out the average. But, you know, we'll see. It, it rarely it really works out exactly that way. Um, right. Shall see. Yeah. Just
0: a guess anyway. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, and then Fed funds rate. So, again, when, when we talk about the Fed raising interest rates, the expectation is. Uh, that we go down from you know from from the about zero now um, trending upward to about a, what's that about a percent in 2022 mm. and about a percent and a half in 2023. So we again we shall see. I think it's it's pretty widely expected that the Fed is going to meet in March and start to raise interest rates. Um, it's one of the only it's one of the only tools they have to to curb inflation here, and I think inflation mm-hmm. is is at, running at a point now where they probably have to do something. They just can't yeah. let this. Continue because people are, you know, hey, if it's if it's in the news, you know, people are people are mad about it. People are worried about it. Um, it's interesting right, that he, like
0: interest rates though, like on mortgages have already started to increase, even though the Fed hasn't increased the Fed funds rate. But, but that's, but but yeah. more, they're not always, from what I understand, they're not always directly related anyway, right? They don't follow exactly right. the same path, like right mortgage rates and and the federal funds rate. But I, I think, I'm assuming it's like just anticipation of the Fed funds rate increasing. I don't, yeah, I don't well, know that I the quite, fed- yeah.
1: Yeah, the Fed has tools to try to control interest rates, right? I mean, what they can yeah. actually control is is the rate at, at which they lend to banks. The, the Fed right. funds rate is just the rate at, at which they lend to banks, right? Right. If the if the market is a you know is determining that banks should low you know should loan at a lower or higher interest rate, um, then they're going to do that, right? It's not it's not like you know the Fed has yeah. ultimate control over interest rates. They certainly exercise the Fed funds rate, which which has which influences it. Uh, you know they'll also do things like you know they'll they'll buy or sell bonds at a at a particular part you know to keep long term mm-hmm. interest rates down they you know they may always be um, you know buying buying those bonds to keep you know to keep demand for them up and therefore not allowing you know the price to you know the the, the price to kind of skyrocket on them so they're they're doing their best they they are not. Uh, you know they're they're not financial gods and they don't have all the control because we you know the market still has has most of it but they do their best to to try to you know I guess yeah. round off the edges you know what I mean
0: yeah and what's interesting and I can't remember if we talked about this in the last radio show but what's interesting is that I from what I'm hearing is that like people might expect for example interest rates on money markets and cash balances and CDs to increase when the Fed increases the federal funds rate. Yep. I I don't um I don't necessarily know that that's going to happen. Have you read anything about that because I've read that like because so banks right now are not dying for business, right? Because a lot we well, just talked about how, you know, personal balance sheets are very healthy, right? So people have yep. cash in the bank. Yep. Banks have cash on hand as a result. And aren't like dying for business, right? They're, they're, they have plenty of clientele and healthy balances. So they, we, I don't know that we would necessarily expect like interest rates on cash or bank CD rates increase like immediately when, when the Fed raises interest rates, which I thought was really interesting and never had really, you know, thought about that before. I was just uh, hearing it on another podcast recently, but.
1: Yeah. Um, Well, I mean, that's, I mean, it's, it's a fine demand, right? I mean, if if, if banks don't have, if they can, if they can take your money and pay you nothing and then lend it out on the other end and make, and you know, that's, that just allows them to make more money. So they're not going to do it. You know, there's, there's no requirement that they have to raise their, their savings and CD rates. Right. Um, again, it's, it it can be influenced by the fed, but they don't have the final call. It's not like they, they, you know, stamp a paper that says, Hey, you know, pay everyone a half percent on their savings account. Um, it's not, yeah. It's definitely not that simple. And yeah, yeah I mean, I'm, I'm, I guess my expectation is that it does come up eventually, but we, you know, we'll see if, you know, how much and, and when, you know, at some point it just, yeah. I don't know. I'll, I'll leave that one alone. Cause I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I wish I, I wish I had more insight on, you know, that's not a part of the market that we follow particularly closely. Yeah. Um, so I'll, uh, I'll leave that one alone, but anyway, uh, let's move on. I know we're, let's see, we're flying right along here for through, the through okay. segment. Um, so you know there's a, there's a quick chart that i that i have up here and i just wanted to go over you know people are you know the, the market's been sort of particularly volatile and, and people do worry about interest rates and, and you know anytime the fed starts to you know starts to hike interest rates people start you know start to worry about well is you know what what, what impact is this going to have uh, on the markets and indeed you have seen with the expect you know with the rising expectation that the that the fed was going to have to you know increase interest rates um, the market has certainly been volatile early on in the year here, and, and yeah. I, there's a, there's a, just a little chart that that shows there's certainly an impact to the Fed increasing rates, and you know and there's definitely a market impact to it, right? So if you look at the cycles, you know in in the in the year leading up to uh, to uh, you know a Fed increase, the you know the market tends to do pretty well, and then. At the first increase, you, you sort of start to see some divergence on mm. different you know uh, different types of returns on different types of, of rate increases, right? So if you you know the long story short, I won't try to explain the whole chart, but the the cycles where you end up with kind of a measured increase tend not to be all that bad, right? You, you get a you get a reduced stock market return. But it's as long as it's measured, it tends to still be positive in the year following, you know, a beginning of an interest rate rate hike. And the you know the real problem comes when the Fed is sort of playing catch up with everything, right? When they're when you know all of a sudden, oh, hey, we need to raise. You know, and, I, and I think this this sort of it's Ill, if you've been following the market for the last couple of months, you would you can sort of see it, right? There was you know there's a sort of widespread expectation, oh, the Fed's going to raise the uh, the interest rate by 25 basis points. In the mar- at the March meeting, but then in you know inflation numbers come out that are higher than we expected, and now all of a sudden people are saying, "Oh wait, well maybe they're going to have to raise it a half a percent, right?" Right, in order to sort of play catch up on inflation because if you know they don't want inflation to get out of control, so maybe they might have to take a more aggressive step towards trying to control it, and you know they're raising on an even faster pace than maybe they had it expected or hoped. Again, we're not again this is not a prediction show on what they will do, but in cases like that when the fed is trying to you know really play catch up uh, on inflation, it tends to be relatively lousy for the market. And it's not, not a great thing. Again, I, I wouldn't necessarily do anything as an investor, but uh, just trying to sort of set the stage for, for expectations going forward.
0: Yeah. I was just thinking um, like, are, is the fed already playing catch up? I mean, we had 7% inflation yeah. last year, right. Did they? Yeah. <laughs> but they didn't, you know, but they didn't yep. fi- feel the need to raise interest rates last year. And I, I, Guess I would have expected that they would, with inflation being so hot for the last two yeah. quarter, two quarters anyway of of the year. Um,
1: I think, yeah. The, yeah, the the incentive that they have is not to be early on these kind of yeah. things, right? I mean, it's just a, you know, they, they would probably rather be react a, a little bit reactionary than than proactive, just because, you know, they they're they're humans; they take grief anytime. You know, if if they just start cranking up the interest rates when when you know when growth is okay. And inflation yeah. is not too not all that bad. They're going to take a lot of uh, a lot of heat from from various places, and yeah. uh, they tend I think they tend to lag a little bit on that and just want to make sure, right? Hey, you know, if if it had been if inflation had been transitory, right? If it was just supply, you know, if it was just supply bottlenecks, uh, you know, and, and it came right back down, they probably didn't want to, you know, start cranking up interest rates super fast. Right. So I, I I sort of understand it, but it's hard, and it's again. It's a hard job so I don't I try not to I try not to critique them all that much especially given the fact that I'm no I'm no economist so
0: Right. We also don't know like sometimes the what what's happening in the market right the, the market's like you'll hear that it's very forward thinking right people are investing you know looking ahead right so yep. people might be worried about interest rates increasing right and what that will do to profitability of Companies right and, and consumer yep. spending, and we're seeing a little downturn now. So that it, so when interest rates rise doesn't necessarily mean we're going to see a further downturn. It might already be baked into the markets, right? Because yep. because investors are are very forward thinking, and um, so sometimes it doesn't always what we think is going to happen doesn't always happen. In fact, that's often the case <laughs> with <laughs> the, with the markets.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, you don't, yeah, I mean, you, you certainly don't have perfect, you just don't have perfect information. Yeah. They're, you know, they're, they're trying to predict what's happening, but because you, you know, you get a lot of data points, uh, along the way, uh, you, you kind of, you know, I think you're overshooting fairly often, but anyway. yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's get into our, let's, let's change gears just a little bit here and, and, okay. uh, revisit something that we talked about earlier on in the show which, which is just, um, relative values of. Uh, different markets around the world, right? So I have yeah. uh, a bunch of data points up here in front of me, and the uh, look at that, it goes back to 1988. Lisa, so you have some some of your information right there. It does. Anyway, so yeah the, yeah, the the line graph that we're showing is is a forward-looking PE ratio, right? So so PE ratio is just a it's a it's a way to measure how expensive a stock and or a stock market. Is right. So price to earnings is essentially how much money you are paying for a dollar's worth of earnings, right? If you were paying twenty twenty dollars for a dollar's worth of earnings by owning one stock, another stock may have uh, a a PE ratio of of tens, so, you know. So you're paying ten dollars for a dollar's worth of earnings, mm-hmm. and you know all else being equal, you would want to buy the ten, right? If it was the, if it was essentially the same stock and and someone was going to sell it to you for uh, for twenty or ten, you would obviously take the ten, right? Now it's right. Not, obviously not that simple, uh, but PE ratios are just a way of kind of measuring how expensive stock markets get. They tend to be, you know, very, very high at, you know, at at, um, at outlier times right before, you know, before great crashes, right? Right The dot the com bubble, everyone remembers pets.com. They didn't have any earnings, but they had a high price. And, mm. and you know, there's, there's lots of examples of that. So PE ratios are something that we, you know, that, that money folks tend to pay attention to, to try to figure out how expensive or cheap, uh, either stocks or markets are right, and as we sit here, the forward PE ratio for the for the United States is twenty two, right? Um, and just and
0: just to help yeah. further explain, like the the PE ratio is one piece of data that we would use to make a guess at growth potential in the future, right? So something that's priced really high might not have a lot of growth potential, or as or, 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 like I guess said differently, there might not be a lot of value in it because it's priced right. so high. So what's the potential for growth? Whereas something that's cheaper, right, at a lower price to earnings ratio would have more potential for growth. So it's a way to um, make a guess at what growth might be from this point in time. And and where where you would see right. value in
1: purchasing a stock. Oh yeah. Or yeah, well, we should yeah, you right. can try to say appreciation, right? Appreciation. Okay, appreciation. The stock. Yeah. Yep. Uh, okay. you know, gr- growth is, you know, there, there's a you know, the reason that you would have a different right PE ratio for different, let's say, companies is because there is a you know different expectations of growth, right? Okay. So you know Fair back enough. when yeah. you know an Amazon or a Google early on, they have they, they may have exceptionally high PE ratios and uh you know a lot of those ratios were justified because that you know they were able to grow their earnings right so that's you know there's there's certainly a growth component to it and and you know even right now you could say about the US market even you know it's the high you know the 22 is the highest number of that that I'm going to tell you here and you could make a rational ex you know you could rationalize that by saying well hey you know what the US is is you know really adding all the growth in the world right hey you know it's it's a globalized world yeah, uh, the U.S. dominates big tech. That's where the growth is going to come from. So it, it it's it's right that the United States has the highest PE ratio because they're they're going to grow more and therefore mm. justify that higher price, right? So that's certainly it, it's not um, out of the realm of possibility that that continues. Uh, but we're just trying to give you sort of an idea of where things sit and, and if things do normalize, uh, you certainly it's certainly the case that you know paying less for a dollar of earnings. All else being equal, is is better than paying more. But you have to. There's there's a lot of factors that uh, that complicate things here. So, but again, like you, know, we, we sort of jumped ahead. So the the global number for PE ratio is 15. Okay, right. and the emerging right.
0: yeah yeah and the
1: emerging markets is just 12. Right. So you know the U.S. almost twice as expensive as the emerging world now with regards to you know how much you have to pay. You know you have to pay for a dollar's worth of earnings. That's a that's a fairly you know, if you if you look back at the chart, there are certainly some times when, um, you know, when when the lines have deviated sort of substantially, and there's other times that they're that they're sort of fairly similar and, and hug each other uh, pretty closely. <laughs> uh, but there's <laughs> is that a weird yeah word yeah. <laughs> well, I'm no- uh,
0: I'm noticing like that the U.S. price to earnings ratio right. I guess in is this 2020 or 2021? It must be 2021 that we're seeing that 22, right? Yep. In terms of price earnings ratio, it's like about the same level it was in the dot com boom. Yep. Right. It's oh, about yeah. Like, yeah. that. That was mid to high 20s in terms of the price to earnings ratio of U.S. stocks, and that's mm-hmm. this is the highest it's been since then as well. Right. Right, based yep. on based on this chart, so. That's interesting, high valuation. The other thing about this chart is that the U.S. has had the highest price to earnings ratio, so those high, the highest valuations in the last 20 years compared to the, in, for most of the last 20 years anyway, compared to international yep. stocks. But that was not the case for it looks like about the 20 years prior to that.
1: Right. Yeah, but, you know, the, yeah. The U S yeah. Through, through the eighties and, and you know, well what we only have back to 88 here, but yeah, through yeah. the eighties and up to, up to the year 2000, basically uh, the U S was on the lower end of the spectrum. Yeah. Um. And, you know, I mean, a lot of that was, you know, so if you think about um, where this, we're going way back for us cause we were in, you know, school and high <laughs> school here, but <laughs> you know, remember when Japan was taking over the world, right? Yeah. All the eighties movies, yeah. like, you know, the, the Japanese are the bad guys when they were making all these great electronics, yada, yada, yada. Yeah. So I mean that there was certainly a you know a, a bubble in overseas stocks back then and it's sort of trended back down and uh you know now the US has been ahead of the game. I mean you you can sort of there's there's an argument to be made that as the economy that's you know that's that's sort of the deepest and the most mature, that you might want to there should be probably a premium put on that. Yeah. Right. You know, you know, our economy versus investing in, you know, you know, pick your tiny, you know, country somewhere in the world, you probably want to pay a premium to invest in the S&P 500 as opposed to some other country because it, just because of, of who we are in the world, uh, you know, should it be twice as high? Right. You know, right. Again, that's, that's a million dollar question.
0: Well, and there's not the same. Uh, the, the the risk factors are different too. like investing in the United States. We don't have to worry about, you know, polit- political risks. Right. Like, <laughs> Who's like, you're investing in, you know, some of these countries with dictators, right? Russia, right? Or, you know, similar, like... You know, there, there's political. There can be political instability. You know, risks associated with that, and also, like, right, like the exchange rates and things like that. When when you're investing overseas, and and yep. also, like, I was going to say, inflation risk. Of course, we had huge inflation last year, even in the United States. But normally, inflation is something that's controlled a little bit better here, I think, relative to some like emerging markets countries, yep. right? Like some South Amer- you know, South and Central American countries come to mind in terms of just crazy inflation that they have seen in in recent years. So the the risks are different. So certainly to your point, uh, it does make sense that people would pay a premium for investing in something that many people would consider safer.
1: Yep. Yeah. Uh, I I agree. I mean, I think, I think I I am, I'm sort of of the mind that there probably should be a premium on the U S stock market. It's just a matter of how high it should be. Right. I mean, if, Mm -hmm. if, if, if the quote unquote long term normal was, you know that the that the u s should be uh you know higher by ten or twenty percent of of you know the rest of the world or or pick your other country uh you may you know you still could find opportunities by saying okay well well hey i mean if if normal is this well now now this other country or this other region is is well below normal and maybe that's an investment opportunity for you so again a lot uh-huh. of complexity and it's tough to do it's tough to get into the sort of the 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 deep parts of it over the radio so we'll I think we'll probably move on here from there unless you have any other follow-ups. I
0: I don't, but yeah. How many, how many minutes do we have before the break?
1: We only have two and a half minutes before the break. All right. I'll skip over this, this slide here. Um, Yeah. Just, just briefly on, um, you know, current interest rates, the interest rates, I don't know if you, do you have them up there, what, what they are right now Uh, as of this writing uh, let's see the yield on, on the, uh, the Vanguard total bond market index. Um, was about one point six percent that might be a little bit higher now i'm not sure i'm not sure okay. exactly where it is but um and the duration was six point eight years right so duration is a measure of volatility so for for every um for every one percent increase in interest rates you would drop uh, your 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 underlying bond or bond fund would drop by that duration number right so if you had a six point eight percent if you had a 6.8 duration and in interest rates went up one percent, yeah, uh, your bond portfolio would go down by 6.8 percent. So again, that's just a, a, sort of another. We, we've been in this in this strange place here for a while, where both you, know, we, you can argue that both stocks and bonds are both you know kind of uh, uh, priced on the higher side, which leaves investors with a you know kind of a, a tough choice on how exactly you allocate your stuff, right? If you're you know if you're dad, mm. you just say, oh, go put all your money in stocks. <laughs> <laughs> um. No, he doesn't really say that to everybody,
0: but definitely, <laughs> definitely for some he people, play. that's the right thing to do.
1: That's absolutely <laughs> yeah, yeah <exactly>. right. <laughs>
0: um.
1: And yeah, I guess I, I'm, I'm gonna probably we won't get to uh much of much of the rest of this. We'll have to we'll have to get to this piece after the break. We'll we'll make our okay. we'll make some uh some estimates. I think when we get back after the break, we'll talk about. Uh, what we're using for kind of our base case scenario on investments going forward, right? You know, make some projections about you know U.S. large cap and developed international, emerging markets, and some bonds, and um, and sort of you know I, I think just provide people with some level of expectation. Obviously, we okay. don't know what's going to happen, but we you know when we're managing money, we do need to make some guesses on that on that stuff. So we'll go we'll get into that. And I think probably we should wrap it up here. So again, hey, my name is Justin McNamara. You are listening to McNamara on Money. Uh, I am here alongside Alyssa McNamara Reed, and uh, we are uh, doing a year-end recap and kind of a and, and an action step um, action step. What, what should I say? And, I, and year-end review and what you should do about it. And uh, if you have any questions, uh, please don't hesitate to shoot us an email. Uh, email address is questions at McNamara dot com. Again, that's questions at McNamara dot com, and we will be right back.